your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex. Unfortunately, no Ryan today, as he has elected to go to Orlando with his family to visit the site of Everton's triumph in the Florida Cup. Back to fond memories before the season and before we were all deeply embedded in this catastrophe of a season. Of course, Everton today falling 1-0 at home to Aston Villa. Big Dunks first match at the helm, unfortunately, was not able to recreate the magic of his last interim spell. And with the loss, Everton have now lost five home Premier League games this season. Only once in their last six seasons have they lost more at Goodison Park. And that was, of course, nine last year. Our atrocious home form continues. And now, after 20 Premier League games, Everton have recorded 19 points, their lowest total at this stage since last century in 1997-98 in a season they finished 17th so dire times continue alex give me your instant match reaction authentic as can be authentic as can be well listen it's no surprise the match today was kind of surrounded by a decent amount of optimism definitely compared to what we've what we've seen or felt as a fan base i think in a couple months However, it ended up being a tale of two halves for Everton. Like we, you know, we end up feeling that it is more often than not nowadays. The first half was definitely abject in a way, um, not much creation at all, shaky. And obviously we know how it ended. The second half was a whole lot better, but I think maybe we saw some questionable team choices. Overall, another defeat for Everton does not spell for a good time. What about you, James? Yeah, not a good time. And furthermore, an early wake up for us American Toffees. We were on the East Coast, so I think we were the least impacted. But God bless those West Coast Toffees waking up at whatever, 4.30 a.m. to watch this complete disaster. Yeah, I agree with you, Alex. I mean, definitely a tale of two halves, and we'll get into the stats. Some of the disparities between the first half and the second half were absolutely shocking. But before the match, I mean, some interesting, you mentioned some of the unrest, and there definitely was the optimism that we could recreate some of the spirit and fight and just altogether combativeness that made the first spell under Duncan Ferguson so successful. Duncan making an incredibly classy gesture pre-match, putting some money down at several of the pubs surrounding Goodison Park in order to buy fans visiting their first drink of the day. Really top gesture from a true Evertonian, despite the result. And also some drama pre-match as Of course, there was the sit-in protest plan following the match. There was also a banner flown over Goodison Park calling for Bill Kenwright to resign. Kind of sums up the fan feelings. No score predictions correct on our Discord because, like most of the fan base, people were optimistic. We had a lot of draws predicted as well as victories. That was, of course, not to be. But let's go into the lineups now. We'll start with Aston Villa, um, who, of course, coming off the back of a 2-2 draw with Manchester United. Steven Gerrard, who I would like to call several words that we won't say on this show because it's a family program, made two changes to the lineup, brings in Philippe Coutinho, who I would also like to call bad names for his first start in a Villa shirt, Uh, moves Danny Ings to the bench. Morgan Sanson also makes his way for John McGinn in midfield. 
And uh, we'll get into the tactics in a second. But let's talk Everton lineup as well, because I don't know about you, Alex. I woke up at 631 or so, looked at the lineup and thought, what the heck is happening right now? So we saw five changes compared to the lineup last time out. Some were definitely expected. Others, maybe not so much. So we saw Rondon, Gordon, Mikalinko, Keane, and Coleman all drop out, some of them on the bench, whereas we had Richarlison, Townsend, Mina, Holgate, and Kenny all come into the starting lineup. Whether questionable or not, we had essentially none of the new signings on the bench. Of course, El Ghazi being on loan from Villa could not feature or be involved. However, we had no Mikalinko or Patterson. We've yet to see Patterson in a blue shirt, which is kind of disappointing in my opinion. However, I personally at least saw Mikalinko pictured sitting on the bench with the squad. Um, so whether that's an injury, whether that's due to form based on, you know, the couple of features that he's had, it was questionable to say the least. But another interesting point, lastly, about the Everton lineup was that Yeri Mina gets the armband. I, don't, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that Rafa probably would not have uh, chosen Mina as captain. And I'm not sure I remember any other match before in which Mina was captain. Do you, James? I don't. I don't remember that. And honestly, for good reason, because as most fans know, Yeri Mina is a bit of a bleep house in that he seems to be one of the players in our squad who likes to rile up the opposition, likes to be, you know, poking people in the kidney on set pieces and things like that. So he he maybe wouldn't have been my first choice for captain. An interesting decision, but he did remain rather composed throughout the match and I thought had a really good game and, you know, leave it up to Dunk to make that decision. But you're right, a perplexing choice by Dunk to exclude a lot of these characters, particularly Anthony Gordon, um, obviously moving Godfrey back to left back and benching Mikolenko. Um, So Alex, do you think this was a statement made by Duncan Ferguson? There was a lot of questions from the media this week about do, does the squad understand the standards that they're expected to, to adhere to in an Everton shirt and a lot of talking about the fight and the passion that Dunk is trying to get the squad to play with. Was he trying to, to do you think he was trying to make a point by dropping a lot of these mainstays in the Everton lineup? Yeah, so I I do I do want to preface it by saying like obviously some of this is speculative just because you know a, you know a lot of these names were not mentioned in a pre-match press conference whether they were injured or not. I think I want to say his context was that he only spoke about long-term injuries, right? In terms of making a point, I mean, I think there's definitely some merit to that. Obviously, you know, Rondon is always going to drop out for Richie, right? Uh, I think Michael Keane probably deserved to be dropped question marks in my opinion or someone like Gordon why was he dropped when he's been on really really good form the last couple matches in general why is Coleman dropped I mean obviously he hasn't been playing that well but I think most fans would would, would see Kenny and, and think that that's an, an extreme step down in quality I I would not put it past him to make a point with that lineup but definitely a a ballsy move in my opinion what about you James yeah I was flabbergasted by when I saw Chancho Kenny starting I mean we've known for three years plus at this point that he's really not what we need. And if he's making a statement, you know, you throw the local lad in there, who's going to, again, fight for the shirt. I I can, I guess, understand it, but there's got to be something up with Coleman. I, I can't think of any other reason you would go with Kenny there. And I thought really poor today. And you put Townsend in front of him over Anthony Gordon. And that's a pretty weak right-hand side, especially with Townsend still sort of recovering from the foot injury that he sustained. But let's get into the actual tactics of the match. Now we know, of course, this was Luca Dean's return to Goodison Park. It was interesting to see kind of what the reception was for him. Some early boos that eventually kind of subsided. Uh, frankly, I think that's not 
in order. I think that's unnecessary to boo the player, but fans are entitled to do what they want to do. But Villa definitely, definitely look to leverage him getting forward. I mean, 53% of their attack came down the left-hand side, and you could tell even in the early stages of the match that Dean was pushed way, way up, looking to get in behind the right-hand side of our defense and doing so pretty successfully at times, though Villa did not create a great deal from open play. On the other hand, Everton, especially in the second half, looked to go down the right once Anthony Gordon came on. 42% of our attack came down the right-hand side. So all kind of taking place on one side of the pitch, both teams kind of going up and down the flank, but we also had 33% of our attack coming down the left. Damari Gray, of course, maybe not quite as influential today as he has been in recent matches, not given the opportunity to get on the ball quite as much. Kenny getting forward more so than Ben Godfrey, of course, not his natural position and doesn't like to get up too much. Villa were completely correct in trying to exploit that right-hand side, so even if they weren't super effective. But let's talk timeline, Alex. Obviously an ugly first half, as we mentioned. The game kicks off. And Gomez wins an early free kick. And then shortly thereafter, Yuri Mina makes a mistake reading a ball coming out of the air. Uh, He kind of lets it go over him. Awkwardly, Jordan Pickford has to come out and makes a weird hand touch on the edge of the box and then hits it out. So he has to like then clear it pretty awkwardly. So a little disjointed from Everton coming out of the gate. Yeah, you know, and and that's something that we have seen. And I'm, I'm saying like the first minute or two in matches consistently recently, we have like a big, you know, defensive or or like an awkward defensive clearance or concession in some matches. I think it's a little alarming at that point, especially to see Mina, because I, I'm pretty sure he's usually regarded as our, our best central defender. So it was alarm bells ringing, in my opinion, in the second minute, minute already. And, and you kind of had that feeling of, oh, here we go again. But then it, it was kind of sloppy play up until about the 13th minute. Everton finally had some good buildup in which Ducore wins a tackle. In, in the middle of the pitch and, and Kenny almost puts DCL through on goal. So that was kind of the first major point in which Everton had anything going forward. Right, exactly. And, and though we obviously didn't finish that with a shot and would struggle to create anything substantive in the first half, um, at least being able to string a couple passes together, because you're right, it was a chaotic first 10 to 15 minutes with Everton really coming out with a lot of energy, go to some park, raucous atmosphere, going crazy, supporting Duncan Ferguson. Um, one thing that I noticed, of course, with the 4-4-2 formation that Duncan Ferguson seems to favor, kind of a back-to-basics approach, it did leave a lot of pockets of space in midfield for Villa to exploit, especially Emi Buendia, who was doing a really good job of like dropping in between the lines to look for those pockets of space, and he did just that in the 19th minute. I had a note shortly before that that he was dropping in to receive the ball and looking to drive forward, and then in the 19th, does that, beats Andre Gomez, and gets really the first material shot of the match, but it ends up going well wide, and that's in the 19th minute. Uh, 27th minute, Matty Cash looks to break inside, leaving it for Buendia and Godfrey there to make a last-ditch effort challenge to clear it. Um, But this was Villa, I think, imposing themselves, and Everton basically put on the back foot. Yeah, it definitely was. But then essentially right after that point in which Godfrey, you know, thankfully steps in between, we had a, a really big chance in which, coincidentally enough, Lucas Dean takes a heavy touch and it leads to to a breakaway when Ducore gets on the end of it and tries to lay it off for Richarlison, but that was also too heavy of a pass. Again, you know, those are the fine margins that Everton are seeming, you know, to miss this season in which we just feel like, okay, if just the last pass, if the last touch was 
was that much better than maybe we have better opportunities and we're talking about a different match. And that was definitely um, a disappointing one, but it, it started to show positive signs. That was a huge opportunity. Again, you know, Everton have, have made so many individual errors leading directly to goals, but we can't take advantage when we're gifted a really good opportunity to break forward like we were there by Lucas Dean. Skip ahead a little bit to the 35th minute. One thing that I just kept noticing and really was damaging and hurts all the more with Luca Dean returning to Goodison Park and having what was a pretty good game besides that one error was that Ben Godfrey being right-footed on the left is consistently an issue because he always, always wants to cut back. Rather than drive forward on his left foot and look to swing stuff in, he's always looking to cut back on his right foot and pass it back inside and really prevents us from playing anything up to Damari Gray and really reduce the amount of service that he was able to get. So that again, is reflected in the fact that we barely attacked down the down the left-hand side, but um, it, it really was just kind of a big issue for me. And though he's really good defensively and an incredible athlete, we really need better balance there. So that was just really frustrating and something I noticed throughout the entire match, but especially in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. And then moments later in the 37th, you know, Ollie Watkins goes down in the box after he was played through. Essentially, Pickford took him out trying to block the shot. The shot was put wide, I think everyone had, you know, a little bit of a hold your breath moment because we haven't necessarily been on, you know, the back end of the most favorable VAR reviews in general, but there was no issue in the end. And then moments later in the 41st, we saw another terrible Holgate long ball. We know that's not his strength. Generally speaking, if Michael Keane's on the pitch or obviously Yerry Mina, they're the ones kind of passing out of the back. And it's no surprise, once again, especially setting up at a 4-4-2 with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, up front that Everton's strategy largely result, you know, revolved around long balls, especially uh, for Pickford. I want to say Pickford attempted about 37 long balls. You know, once again, it seems to be an issue. It didn't quite work that well. And, you know, right. Just and then in the 44th up. minute, there was a huge moment where Ollie Watkins gets free in the box and heads it. Pickford diving managed to stick out his foot and make what was what would have been probably one of the saves of the season. Turns out that Watkins was about three or four yards offside, thankfully, but it was an unbelievable moment of quality from Jordan Pickford, one that would go in the highlight reel had it not been such a violation. But yeah, again, we're right on the cusp of halftime. One thing that I noticed throughout the first half and throughout the match, we already talked about John Joe Kenny not having the quality, but his inability to win things in the air was a real problem. Villa have some big bodies up front and he was just getting bullied and constantly beat. I don't think, I don't even know if he won a single aerial. So that was a big problem for me. Uh, in the 46th minute, we're in stoppage time now. Andre Gomez picks up a yellow for a tactical foul. Decore had been uh, had missed a tackle and gotten beat. Villa were breaking forward. Andre does what he does and just takes the guy out. Obvious yellow. Um, but it ends up leading to a corner for Villa. Death of the first half. And I guess we all know what happened next. So, of course, the man himself, the man that was not allowed to take corners at Goodison Park for the team in blue, stepped up to take a corner at Goodison Park in Claret Red. And Buendia is running near post. Um, it's a great cross by Lucas Dean. Buendia gets the flick on to the far post. Pickford does get a slight hand on it, which from that angle, it looked like Townsend had it covered to clear if Pickford didn't kind of get a fingertip on it and, and further push it into the roof of the net. But other overall, a really deflating moment. And then essentially what unfolded after the fact we saw was a bottle was thrown as, as Villa were celebrating this goal and Lucas Dean 
coincidentally ended up being one of the players that was hit by the bottle. Is it acceptable in any any way for a fan to be throwing anything on the pitch? No, it's absolutely embarrassing. It's shocking. Uh, it, it's juvenile. It's pathetic. I mean, every negative word you can possibly throw should be thrown out because it's it's just has no place in this game. I will say, I'll caveat it with, I looked at a few of the replays. Clearly, stuff was thrown. Indisputable. I didn't see a shot of Dean getting directly hit. If I'm wrong on that, please correct me and on Twitter or whatever. Please respond. But there, it looked like they kind of made a meal of it. Either way, had stuff been thrown, it can still be incredibly dangerous. It's classless. It just shows really how negative things have gotten. Also, you you got to respect the boldness of Wendia to go right over to the Gladys Street end and just celebrate like right in their face, kind of trying to elicit that type of reaction. But it's still, you just can't take the bait there. It's really, it was really embarrassing. I had a couple of friends text me like really, really classy from Everton fans. And like, there's no defense of it. You can't possibly justify it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I have to, you know, I have to throw this stat in there as painful as it was to see Dean lining up for Aston Villa. Dean's assist on the corner means that he has more assists for Aston Villa than he does for Everton this season. And he joined Aston Villa nine days ago. So to put insult to injury even further, that was a, a not so fun stat that we saw on Twitter. But in terms of the Blues halftime stats, those were not looking too good. No, it was poor. Really, really poor. Let me emphasize it. And it's hard to say that Villa probably deserved something out of their first half because they were by far the better side. You look at the stats. I mean, 7-0 to zero in shots. 55 to 45 in possession, 77% to 64% pass accuracy, 5 to 0 in key passes, 8 to 8 in fouls. So, you know, physical battle, but they out dribbled us 11 to 6. They won more aerials than us. We had one more corner than them, 3 to 2. But you have to say that Villa were by far the better side, and it was really looking quite negative. And clearly, some changes were needed from Duncan Ferguson in the locker room and coming out for the second half. We were looking forward to the match in general, and you're at Goodison Park. Dunk is doing everything he can. He released that video of him talking about setting the expectations and how he wants the fans on his side, paid for the for the beers at the pub. And you're thinking that how did we get to halftime on this occasion? And it's not that storybook first half that we all wanted. It's a nightmare in which we have zero shots and zero key passes at home when we have the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison back. I think that and conceding from a set piece. Yeah. Conceding from a set piece right before halftime. So it's one of our biggest problems. And then right before half, right before you can say, okay, we're, we're in the locker room. It's nil-nil, all to play for. Nope, now you have to completely recalibrate and try to come out and get yourself back in the game. And the last thing I'll say is when Dia is like five foot seven, if I'm not mistaken... So, so that's just even worse. It, it's like diabolical. But essentially, we come out in the second half, and I think all fans will agree, Everton did all credit due, turned it on in the second half. In the 49th minute, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets a very soft yellow. We waited no time at all to make the first substitution, which was definitely a difference compared to Rafa's reign. We saw Gomez come off for Alan. Gomez was already on a yellow card. Gomez, in general, he had uh, somewhat of a quiet game. You know, he's one for five in tackles. He had one aerial one, two fouls, and he was dribbled past four times. Again, kind of what we've seen before. Starting him in a midfield two, maybe not the best decision. The back-to-basis approach from Duncan just, just doesn't really play when you're going to continue with the two-man midfield that's been an issue for the entire season. And Andre Gomez was just a victim of the setup today. Certainly can cannot play, with, play in a two-man midfield. And Alon was, I think, a very welcome introduction at that point. 
just five minutes after that, the second substitution, Duncan looking to finally bring on Anthony Gordon for Andrus Townsend, who had struggled up to this point. The one moment that sticks incredibly vividly in my mind for Townsend today was when he tried like four cutbacks back to back to back to back to try to beat a yes. man and then just lost the ball. It's like, come on, man, get rid of the thing. What are you doing? And it certainly wasn't his best day. I mean, he had a key pass, four dribbles, dispossessed twice, four bad touches. And I think we can agree that Anthony Gordon should have started from the off, but bringing him on as a sub where he can run it slightly tired legs and make an impact was a positive move. And he certainly did that throughout the rest of the second half. Yeah, no doubt. You know, if if I'm speculating and trying to give Big Dunk any sort of, you know, any sort of benefit of the doubt, like starting Townsend over Anthony Gordon, that would just be that he's seen them in training constantly. Townsend does have more experience and maybe he feels like for a bit he stacks up better against Lucas Dean. We know Lucas Dean is not lightning quick. So, you know, it also could make sense that Gordon coming off the bench against tired legs could play into it. You know, it really depends on how he wanted to approach it. I still I do still feel like Anthony Gordon should have started regardless. Townsend, Townsend losing the ball six times in 56 minutes is not great. I think he was one of the highest on the list, if not the highest. You know, when Everton is not moving the ball through the middle at all, you're really relying on players like Townsend, Gordon, Gray to progress the ball forward. And, and that's that's where you want a player to really be able to possess it and not give it up. So I thought that he had a less than ideal display, but it was great to see Gordon come on. We had a chance immediately after that, like 30 seconds later in the 56th, again, chance on a run forward from Gray. He had his shot blocked and then Anthony Gordon crossed it in, immediate impact, and Richie flicked the header right over the bar. So promising signs immediately after the subs come on. Yeah, so we're definitely starting to kind of grow into the game. As you said, Anthony Gordon, instant impact. Just a minute later, Gary Mina picks up a yellow card for a foul at the edge of the box. This was incredibly soft for me. Um, it was some poor refereeing on display today, but Ramsey, who I can't stand, uh, went down extremely easily. Mina's kind of cutting across his path, and Ramsey just sort of throws himself to ground. It puts Villa, uh, gives him a free kick in a really dangerous area, but I think it was Coutinho who may have taken this one and uh, put it over the bar. Yellows started flying thick and fast as the tackles did as we enter this spell of the match. But then just a few minutes later, one of our most golden chances to actually score Ben Godfrey getting a couple opportunities. So, you know, Godfrey initially um, got a header on Dominic Calvert-Lewin plays it back in with a really nice recovery on the far post. And then Godfrey once again gets the header. It's, you know, it's directly at Martinez and Mings on the goal line. But as you said, it was it was essentially right on right on the top of the six yard box. It was important for us at that point in time. After the save, Villa break with Coutinho and Gray tracks all the way back and makes the tackle. Everton love themselves a player that tracks all the way back, especially an attacking player like Tamari Gray to make the tackle. And then four minutes later, we saw our final substitute in the 64th minute. Again, we've seen Rafa down you know two three nil and still never makes his third sub. So that was again a welcome change, but. It was because Ducore picked up an injury and it looked like a quad. So Tyler Onyango came on for the last 25 to 30 minutes or so. What did you make of Ducore's performance up until the injury? I thought Ducore was actually a really good, especially considering he kind of has to make up for a lot of the aspects that, that Gomez lacks. So covering a boatload of ground and making tackles, namely, I think he had seven tackles, a couple interceptions, low pass accuracy, but he was also trying to get the ball forward and he was really just kind of doing his classic Ducore be everywhere type of thing. The Onyango substitution, frankly, you know, you've got JPG on the bench. 
really the only other midfielder that you could probably sub on since Alon's already come on at that point. Ryan had a tweet basically saying, just move Gubaman on at this point for, for his own good. Because if Anyango's getting in the side before JPG, a player we paid 20 plus million for, I don't see any way that he really gets back on the pitch. So, and Anyango, look, he's a young kid. He's still cutting his teeth. This was not the most influential performance, though his sheer size was uh, useful on some set pieces. The guy is an absolute unit, and I think that every time I see him in a blue shirt. Dude, he was about as tall as Yerry Mina, I want to say. And, I, you know, I thought he was maybe like 6'1", 6'2". But, yeah, you're absolutely right. That did take me by surprise. Um, you know, I'll say that, I'll say that you know, in terms of the performance like Freon Yango, I mean, he only had eight touches and two passes. So he really wasn't involved, which is also surprising. Um, but I've got to agree with Ryan. Like, JPG, I don't know how, how he didn't see the pitch instead. Um, but, again, like in the 65th minute, we saw a really, really good chance where Kenny played wide to Gordon. Gordon plays a one-two with Richarlison real quick and then hits a cross in and Dominic Calvert-Lewin was in a really, really good area. I think this is the one in which the ball bounces a little bit. So Dominic Calvert-Lewin couldn't get the best um, connection on it. But that right there, another day of the week, Dominic Calvert-Lewin buries that and we have a totally different match. Absolutely. And this is exactly the type of stuff that Everton need to be doing in the attack. Quick, give and goes, quick ball movement into the box for Dominic Calvert-Lewin making runs. And you have to think Dominic Calvert-Lewin maybe with a couple extra weeks of fitness and rhythm from getting regular game time would probably bury that. But it was a tough one and a great one-touch cross by Gordon to put him in the right area. And we had another chance just a few minutes later. So we're really starting to pile up the chances. Mina had a, a corner, a header off a corner rather, where he put it just wide. But Mina on the day, I thought, was one of our easily our best defender, in my opinion. Uh, looked incredibly commanding on the ball. And then basically in the second half, he was playing as like a, a pseudo striker. He spent like the better part of the last 20 minutes staying in and around the box, just desperately trying to win balls in the air. Yeah, you know, I found that very amusing. The first time I saw that was when Schmetzer for the Sounders used to do that with Roman Torres. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. I'm like, total MLS move. So I'm going to be honest, like personally, if anyone's a Sounders fan, like, you will understand I got a good chuckle out of that move, but it was pretty effective. I mean, it works in the way that you want it to, especially when our strategy, literally most of the game were long balls. It makes total sense. You know, you're just going all in on it at that point. You know, you're one nil down at home, not much to lose, you know, and, and that was, that was, you know, further shown by um, Alan with a nice cross in the nice diagonal cross in from deep and, and Mina was in the box to meet it, but he didn't quite get that on target. So he was definitely a danger going forward as well. You know, the 74th minute, Matty Cash finally gets yellow. He was playing a, a really, really physical match. And I know Gray at one point was complaining about that, you know. And, th and then again, further, you know, the match just really continued to get very physical, like through the last about 20 minutes, I'd say. Yeah, Matty Cash was infuriating all match. At one point, I saw Gray say to the referee, how many? After like the third time he was he was fouled. Uh, I think that one was from behind. Well-deserved yellow, finally. Um, and then in the 83rd minute, yeah, Allen gets a yellow for descent to the referee. He was very, very angry. And uh, Godfrey then picks a yellow card up basically in the same minute after he makes a pretty aggressive sliding challenge. I think he gets the ball, but he brings his body through the legs and picks up a yellow. So... Uh, and then just two minutes later, Tyrone Mings gets a yellow after fouling Richarlison. So there were a ton of cards shown, especially in the second half. And things were getting very, very testy between the two sides. But unfortunately, 
at this point, as you said, Alex, Everton resorting to hoofball in its purest form, sending it long every chance they get. Even off corners, we would clear it back. John Joe Kenny would get it, play it back to Pickford, who would then just hoof it up again. And, and though we did have some big bodies in the box to try to get a goal, it never came to be. And we didn't really have any more material chances until at the very, very death, we get a corner. Anthony Gordon takes it. And fittingly, as he's done now three times, and I think two or three matches, puts the ball out of play on the corner. And that was that Everton fall 1-0 to Villa, who move up to 10th in the table. Now, with that said, you'd be hard-pressed to argue that it wasn't a much better second-half performance from the Toffees. And we're ta- if we're talking second-half stats alone, we had 15 shots to their one. If that doesn't further illustrate it, like six to zero on corners, we had 11 key passes in the second half when we had zero in the first. Zero. Can you imagine if we had the same sort of output or even half that output in the first half or maybe a little bit more clinical finishing? You know, we, we had a little bit more possession, better pass accuracy. We're pretty even in, in aerials, but, you know, six to 10 on fouls. So it was very pretty much clear. And I think a lot of fans could see that, especially in the last like 30 minutes or so, as we discussed Villa's plan essentially became play as physical as you can, break ups, break up any sort of, you know, attacking fluidity or um, possession that Everton have in order to make it as difficult as possible. Stop, start, you know, even Martinez, their goalkeeper, got a yellow for time wasting at some point. So it was very clear, you know, the difference. And and I thought that Everton definitely turned it on. But at the end of the day, they're. It was still sloppy and not clinical enough. Yeah, I think Villa basically, you know, invited us to try to break them down after they went up on a set piece goal. They really didn't venture forward very often after that. And that's reflected in the stats. It's hard to say, you know, how much of that is due to Everton actually improving versus Villa just changing the tactic, defending their lead. But the time wasting was obvious. I think, let's see, what minute did uh, Martinez got a yellow in the 69th minute? So 20 plus minutes to go. They're flagrantly time-wasting to the point of getting yellow cards. Definitely a better second half, and that's reflected by the XG overall. Everton winning the XG battle, though you don't get any real prizes for that. InfoGoal had the XG at 1.64 to 1.01 in favor of Everton, and the XG philosophy had uh, 1.59 to 1.05. But the only ones that count are the ones that go into the back of the net. And so Everton, again, leave this match week with zero points and things are starting to get pretty dire. Um, I think we should definitely discuss briefly. We've talked about a little Anthony Gordon's performance overall because his impact was undeniable and really was a breath of fresh air coming down that right-hand side when he was substituted. He was, I mean, so we talked about, he came on in the 56th minute, so he had less than half the match, but he was involved right on the off. You know, he put in that dime of a cross into Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but he had four key passes more than anyone else on the pitch in either team. And he only had one bad touch. So the, the difference between him and Townsend was night and day, right? Townsend lost the ball six times. I think he had what one key pass, maybe Gordon comes in, he retains possession. Well, he runs at Lucas Dean constantly and he creates a lot of chances. I thought, he had an amazing impact off the bench. Should have started, as we've said several times now. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, another one. Look, he, he clearly, I think, still hasn't quite found his rhythm since returning from injury, but good to see him get another 90 minutes under his belt. Uh, he ended up with a couple shots, two key passes, was dispossessed a couple times and a couple bad touches. But I don't think he was all too influential, but he did a good job of coming back and getting more involved further in Everton's, you know, own end to try to receive him and Richarlison, I thought had some decent moments, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that they're really the best striker partnership 
just because sometimes they just don't interact all that well. Uh, we didn't even really haven't really talked about Richarlison. What did you make of Richie's performance today? Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and this kind of showed in you know if you look at let's say the amount of touches uh, that each t- or, or each player got. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had the least amount of touches on the pitch for anyone that stayed on for the full match, right? So only the the substitutes that came on had less touches than Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and I want to say Richarlison only had like two or three more. So at the end of the day, neither player was able to influence the game the way they'd like to. And I think most people agree. I th- you may agree with me, like Richarlison is better played on the left, not necessarily a striker. Don't get me wrong. He scores goals and he's probably the best finisher on the team, but his overall influence on the match, his propensity to be a game changer is kind of stifled in my opinion when he plays up top. But obviously you have, you know, the conundrum of Gray is also the best on the left and he's Everton's top scorer this season. What do you do with that? I'm not sure. What do you think about Richarlison's performance? Clearly a frustrated character. As you said, I think DCL had 36 touches. Richarlison only had 38. What are you going to expect when you're really not looking to construct any sort of build-up play? You're just hoofing it long and hoping you can win stuff in the air. And though both are good in the air, it's not really conducive to Richarlison's style. I think it's better for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, where Richarlison really better with the ball at his feet, having the opportunity to run at people from wide areas, hence why he should probably be playing on the left. But just the way things go. And I think that's just a limitation really of the four, four, two system as a whole. Um, but let's reflect and look back because in, on the match as a whole, because things got pretty toxic following the final whistle. We have this from Adam Jones from the Liverpool echo, John Joe Kenny going over to the Everton fans who obviously sat in following the match for the protest. And then Seamus Coleman, who didn't go over to the fans, from Adam, he said, just before this, Seamus Coleman gets angrily shouted at and booed for not going over himself. So I think the question is, Alex, how toxic is it now and how much more toxic do we think it can get if the club captain, Seamus Coleman, is getting booed even though he didn't even play today? I, I was blown to read that, to be honest. I thought, you know, at first, like, I was glad to see that John Joe Kenny went over there, but to hear kind of the context, like the fact that Seamus Coleman, he was not even involved today who has been, you know, a very dedicated servant at the club, which we've all mentioned numerous times, you know, it's not his fault. He's now, you know, 33 years old and still starting right back. So the club itself was pushing like the PR big dunk all week, get the fans excited. Everyone loves spirit and hashtag passion, Um, big dunk buying drinks. It was all there ready. And yet it still got extremely toxic. And the the sit-in protest at the end was all about sack the board. Right. It was all about sack the board. And yet you're still getting them angrily shouting and, and, you know, booing your club captain who didn't. Yeah, it's just anger. It's just anger and frustration, pretty much lashing out at anyone that's associated with the club in any official capacity is what it, what it really feels like. And it didn't even look like a ton of people sat in. I saw a clip. Uh, Bill Kenwright following the match was engaging with fans, but also made some very like flippant remarks about glad you all had a good time and things like that. So I think he's one of the the big problems currently and just seems very aloof and like unwilling to accept some of the accountability that is so desperately needed for the Everton at the board level, especially, but also, you know, up and down the entire infrastructure and organization of the club. Let's get into some listener comments because we had some really good, insightful post-match comments like we always do. We'll start with Tweeter Everton, who said in regard to Duncan Ferguson, second comings are seldom like the first. Desire for second balls seemed greater. Lack of quality was there for all to see. DeCorey and Richie didn't find their rhythm. 
in new signings, not even on the bench. Hashtag Everton that. It's kind of hard to disagree. I'd say Ducore, I mean, with, with seven tackles and, and I think two interceptions, I think he had a pretty good game, although his, you know, his passing wasn't great. But completely fair to say. And then we had Paul Roberts at PD Roberts 1968 spitting some home truths about Dunk that he feels Dunk should have known. Kenny and Holgate aren't PL quality defenders. Gotta agree there. Two central midfielders asking for trouble. Subscribe to that. And lastly, Gomez is the last 30 minute subs only, which we did see in great effect. I think it was against the Arsenal match. Um, so I think Paul's got a spot on there as well. Accurate from Paul. And yeah, in terms of Decore, look, not his finest moment, not his best match, but. If he's out for any extended period of time, that is a major issue for Everton Football Club. And it looked like he may have done his quad or his abductor. So we'll hopefully monitor that in the coming days. And hopefully it's not too severe. He looked like he was walking after the fact. Certainly not as impactful. But when the midfield's a complete dumpster fire, it's hard to it's hard to point too many fingers when Decore is just kind of running all over, having to cover spaces and pockets um, everywhere you can possibly look. Now... I think this fosters some discussion because now, of course, Everton have a couple of weeks off for the international break. And with that, we know that, of course, the manager search is ongoing at the board level. Farhad Mashiri involved. We've been linked now. We did, we did an episode. If you haven't already listened, go back and check out our review of Rafa Benitez's tenure and examination of potential managerial candidates. One name that was thrown out, uh, Cannavaro, which is a wild move. Someone who's basically only managed in Asia link to come in also a believe Kia client. So the agents having their way with Farhad Mushiri, it seems whether that's legit or not. But anyway, I think it bodes the question now with a couple weeks off, what did the board make of this performance by Everton? I don't think it, it really bought him any more time in terms of Duncan Ferguson. I don't think it inspired a ton of confidence, but do you think this adds a lot of urgency to their need to bring someone in for the next match following the break? Or do you think that they We'll give Dunk another opportunity, another uh, bite at the cherry, so to speak, just in order to give them more time to really come to the right candidate, because you don't want to make a rush decision when we're in such perilous form. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a catch 22. Like naturally you think, OK, international break. We we have more time to sound out candidates. We have more time to do more interviews. We have more time to take longer discussions about a contract length or payment terms or work it out with maybe a club that they're still employed in. So I think that in terms of process and the process that we're screaming out for, I hope that they see it as an opportunity to take more time and do their due diligence. Um, I personally don't really look at the situation in terms of a factor of, you know, what do they think about Duncan Ferguson? I genuinely don't think, you know, I think it's probably even slim chances that he stays um, through the end of the season, because if you really think about it, maybe you don't want a chance like, relegation or a relegation battle on on someone that doesn't have that much experience and that's okay too but i think that for all evertonians sake i really hope it's someone that at least the majority of the fan base can get behind yeah i i'm with you i i think this will probably have forced their hand to have to appoint someone in the near term mostly because we talked about duncan ferguson look when he came in last time got this huge boost got us some massive results against some big sides that were really kind of not expected I think the expectations were pretty low. Unfortunately, now he set expectations kind of high, which is why today feels like such a letdown. It really shouldn't. True. He's true. not an experienced manager. He's a true blue. He can like he can get you pumped up, like you can you know uh, drink a bunch of cups of coffee and get fired up. But what comes after that? You crash. Um, and, and I'm worried about the dunk effect of 
screaming in a very thick Scottish accent at the players that they need to fight for the shirt only is only so limited. And it's no disrespect to him. I don't mean that disrespectfully or like degrading in any way. He's, he's an icon at the club, but his tactical acumen is clearly somewhat limited in that he consistently relies on the four, four, two, which is the most simple. And I understand that method. I understand the rationale behind using it, but it doesn't exactly address many of the problems that we saw under Rafa Benitez. So we had a tweet from none other than our co-host, absentee co-host, Ryan Williams, who said, Villa are pretty well equipped to deal with the somewhat simplistic hoofball Everton showed today. They've got size in the back and strength down the middle. Everton didn't look organized in attack, but with better finishing could have won. Defensive organization was better. And I agree with that. The defense was better, but Dunk doesn't seem like the, the type of tactical guy to really be able to improve the team. It's very much the type of football that can get you maybe a draw against some sides who want to dominate the ball. But if you really need to impose yourself on the game, I fear that he's just not the guy there. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you. Like the most alarming thing was like, I think the setup um, and, and how we've seen like that setup is not working that great for us in general. And it is the same setup that he employed a couple of years ago when he took over. So, you know, I, I also think I genuinely believe we have too much quality to play in a, you know, a 4-4-2. I feel like we could play a different formation and get more out of the players that we're getting. But at the end of the day, I do think the de- defensive organization was better due to Mina being back in the team, um, which is no surprise, right? But we also had AA Ron at A underscore Snai 95 say that we looked slightly better than we did under Rafa, but still not good enough. Don't understand why we aren't playing three in the midfield and we got to switch up the tactics if we want to stay up. So essentially echoing all our thoughts there, especially about how Big Dunk is setting up. Yep. And then we had Sean Khan at King Kong 225, member of our Discord and regular contributor, said, really tough game, better in the second half, but it's evident we've been getting tactically beat in almost every game played the last few months, hoping that the lack of changes is Dunk only being interim for three days rather than this being his plan the rest of his interim spell. Look, we don't really have any evidence that Duncan has any interest or ability to change the shape of the team or impose a more complex tactical system, but we can obviously hope that he's capable of that, having studied under many managers at this point, may have picked up a thing or two. I think it's it just very much like a very back-to-basics approach. Now, we have this from um, Casey Griffin, and I think he it's a two-part tweet. I think it's really well said and, and interesting. He says, I think the most frustrating part was Villa offered little in terms of attacking threat. They got a lucky finish and we let three to four opportunities go to waste. Absolutely true. Reminds me of recent West Ham defeats. That's too true as well. We desperately need to find a way to create a greater volume of chances. And then this second piece, which I think is really the best. I want to add that the worst we've gotten, the more I've desperately clung to my love of this club, but not many of the people. Our bond as fans is strong and we deserve for the club to treat us with respect. They need to get their act together and stop taking us for granted. Very pointed and fair criticism from Casey there, Alex. What do you think about that? He's completely right. I mean, I'm pretty much feeling the same way. I think a lot of people are starting to feel, you know, detached from a from a perspective of like getting excited on match day. But I don't think that ever changes how much you like care or um, get upset by like the results. But I find it interesting because, you know, something we haven't mentioned yet and something that was a big deal on, on Everton, Everton social media recently was that Moshiri, I think it was yesterday, possibly the day before, released an official statement, a letter to the fans through club avenues as opposed to through his buddy um, Jim White on TalkSport. It seems like Moshiri knows at this point in time that 
the fans are not too happy. Yeah, I think he, I mean, you'd have to be literally have your head stuck in the sand not to realize that at this point. Um, and it's a positive step in the right direction, that communication, in which I'm glad you brought up, in that he did release it through the club channels. It was a formal statement from the owner, which we haven't heard from in a while. But there were several concerning aspects of it. And maybe we can touch on this more in depth uh, in a midweek episode or something along those lines. But A, the fact that they've done away with the AGM's um, annual general meetings to give where, where Everton stakeholders, shareholders have the opportunity to directly ask questions of the board. He seemed rather oblivious to the failings of the board to date in that he gave glowing endorsements of the jobs that Bill Kenwright, Denise Barrett-Baxendale are doing which seems kind of out of touch again. And the fact that he framed his uh, debt to equity conversion of a hundred million as like a cash injection to the club, which it's empirically not, it's actually him kind of just gaining more uh, control of the equity of the club was also concerning. And the fact that, you know, it basically just read like a very kind of boring, straightforward PR statement that didn't really say anything new. The one most optimistic or thing that I'm optimistic about is the opportunity for fan representation at board level, which is going to be so critical for Everton going forward. Fans need to have a voice at the highest levels of the club, whether they actually are given any actual influence remains to be seen, but that I was encouraged by. And hopefully the dialogue continues, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be the be all end all. This is just the first step in hopefully a long process of improving the relationship with the fans. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. So I think, you know, to wrap things up, I mean, it's really as simple as, and, and I think everyone probably heard it, the commentators talking about it um, today as well, but it's really as simple as this. The next managerial appointment has to be the right one, whether that's for the short term, whether that's a decision for the long term, whether that's to continue with an interim manager, it doesn't matter, but he has to make the right call. Um, and hopefully that means, you know, a director of football choosing the the, the manager. Exactly. And I think that the decision now, Given that we have no DOF in place and the situation so dire, looking at the form table, I was looking at the form table in, in searching and going back, how far back could we go to see like where Everton actually sit? If you exclude the first four weeks of the season, which were obviously the only bright days under Rafa Benitez, week five, match week five to now, Everton, bottom of the form table, 16 matches played, two wins, one or three draws, 11 losses. Scored 14 goals, conceded 31, nine points. The team above us, Burnley, have played three fewer matches and still have more points. So it's indescribably poor. Everton on pure relegation form, I think people saying we can't get relegated are crazy. We clearly can if we continue on this trajectory, which isn't like three or four weeks here or there. It's now almost 20 weeks of diabolical losses. So you're right, Alex, makes the managerial appointment all the more critical. And I think at this point, you really just have to look to steady the ship and see this season out and stay in the Premier League. You do. And, and you know, I, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, the thoughts aren't creeping in. Well, here's another lost season. And, you know, what other players are going to be out the door in the summer? You know, it's, it's a terrible thought. But I believe that, you know, regardless of how it works out, we're probably looking at a bigger rebuild than than we'd hope for. But hopefully, again, the the wheels are in place to make it somewhat successful or even just partially coherent <laughs> partially coherent i would snap your hand low off bar. for right now if i'm being low honest bar. <laughs> incredibly low bar but i would love even just a smidge of competence but i think that probably is a good place to end it 
for this episode. We thank you all very much for tuning in and listening. Hopefully this was at least cathartic in some way, shape, or form. It usually is for us to record it. If you want to give us a follow on social media, you can find all of our links in the description, or you can just go on over to linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod and find our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Also, you can join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. And if you are listening up until this point, please do subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or review on your platform of choice. Much appreciated. We will be coming to you guys with some content over the international break as if you possibly could ever want more Everton content. Probably most people looking for uh, a little reprieve from the suffering, but we will trudge on at the American Toffee podcast for you all. And we thank you all for listening. Until next time, up the toffees.